Since the first Mishnah, the Masechta discussed how a woman can be acquired as a wife and how she can leave her husband's authority when he dies or divorces her. So the most part of the rest of the Perek discusses how various other things can be acquired or how their ownership can be relinquished. And the Mishnah begins with Evid Ivri a Jewish slave, and just like regarding a woman, when we say that she is acquired, it doesn't mean that she's considered to be the property of her husband, but there is a particular unique type of ownership which a husband has of his wife. But that ownership is one of marriage. It is not a regular ownership like money and other possessions. And the same goes for a Jewish slave. The Jewish slave is not considered to be the property or the possession of his master but rather he's considered to be under the authority of his master and that he needs to follow his orders and whatever he finds or earns goes to his master. Be as it may, the Mishnah says, that a Jewish slave can be acquired with money. If you give money to the Jewish slave's previous owner, previous master, or alternatively, you give the, if, if the Jew is not yet a slave, but he wants to sell himself. For example, he has no money, so he wants to sell himself. So by giving him the money, that would also make him into your slave. Or if that person is becoming a slave because he stole money, if somebody steals and he's not able to pay back, then the basin would sell him as a slave, and the money which they get from selling him would go in order to pay the person who he stole from. But as it may, the person who is buying him as the slave would pay Bastin, and by paying the Bastin money, that is how he would acquire that slave. And it's learned from Psukim, all of the ways of acquiring are learned from Psukim. We're not going to mention how exactly they're learnt. The Gemara goes through how each of these ways of acquiring are learnt from the Psukim themselves. Uvishtar, and via a document, if the person is selling himself, then he would write a document to the master saying that I am becoming your slave. Or if Basin is selling him, then the Basin would write the document and give over the document to this person who is acquiring the slave. Or if he's already a slave to a different master, then that different master would write a document in order to transfer the ownership of that person to the new master. Vukainis Atzmai, and he acquires himself, he becomes free and leaves the authority of others, Bashonim, with years, meaning at the end of six years, if the basin would sell him, then he would only be a slave for a maximum of six years. Uva Yovel, or at Yovel. If Yovel, which is once every 50 years, if that arrives within six years, then he would also go free in the Yovel, and he wouldn't need to wait until the end of the six years, or the Girin Kesef, or by deducting an amount of money. And what that means is paying an amount of money, either somebody else ransoming him in order to free him, or if somebody gives him a gift of money on condition that that money does not become automatically owned by the slave's master, like everything else which the slave owns. So then the slave has money and the slave can use that money to free himself by giving it, paying to the master. And the amount that he would need to pay corresponds to how long left there is that he is supposed to be a slave. For example, let's say he's supposed to be a slave for six years, like regular, and he was sold for 300 zuz. So that means that that's really 50 zuz for each year. And now he's been a slave for three years already, and he's supposed to be a slave for another three years. So it's as if he's sort of been a slave corresponding to 150 zuz, and there's 150 zuz left which he needs to be a slave for. So the amount left, the 150 zuz left which he's supposed to be a slave for, that is the amount that he would have to pay in order to be freed. 
A Jewish female slave has an additional way of acquiring herself, of leaving the authority of her master, because she acquires herself and goes free also when she develops signs of maturity, when her body matures and she becomes basmitza, then the Torah says that that is also a way for her to go free. Now, although we said that a Jewish slave is generally a slave for six years, at the end of the six years, he wants to remain a slave. He's able to do so, but there's a process which they go through that they make a hole in the slave's ear. And the Mishnah says that Hanirza, a slave whose ear is pierced, Nikneberitsia, is acquired by making a hole in his ear, and then he becomes a slave until Yevel. Or, let's see, the Kenis Atzma, he acquires himself, he leaves the authority of his master and he becomes a free man by Yovel, when it, uh, it reaches Yovel at the end of the 50 years, once every 50 years, with Mr. Odain. Or if the master dies, then he would also become free. And the mission is showing that he doesn't, he's not part of the inheritance. Since a Jewish slave is not a real possession of the owner, so inheritance does not apply to him and he wouldn't be passed down to the master's son. He can be acquired by money or a document or by doing a chazaka, which is where one uses the thing which he is acquiring in a way that he shows ownership of it. For example, in this case, he would tell the slave to do something and the slave would do it for him. As soon as the slave serves him, so he's now using that item as he would being the owner, and in these three ways, one is able to acquire a non-Jewish slave from his previous master. And a non-Jewish slave acquires himself, he becomes a free man, via money which comes from others, meaning a non-Jewish slave is not able to own anything. Whatever he owns is automatically owned by his master. So it can't be that he gives money to his master, rather it would have to be money given to the master by other people. Or a document which could even involve him himself, meaning if the master writes a document and gives it over to his slave, and in that document it is written that you're becoming a free man, that would also be a valid way of freeing his slave. Now the truth is, the Mishnah is saying that a document would work only if it's given to the slave himself. If the master gives a document saying that he's freeing his slave, and he gives it to somebody else, and he says that the other person should acquire it on behalf of his slave. According to this opinion of the Mishnah, that would not work. That is the opinion of the mayor. mayor holds that it's considered to be disadvantageous to be freed. A non-Jewish slave, as long as he is a slave, so he would have relations a lot with the other female non-Jewish slaves, the the master can make him do so in order that he make the women give birth to more slaves. And the halacha is that when a non-Jewish slave is freed, he needs to convert fully to become Jewish. Even when he is a slave, he's already obligated to keep most mitzvahs, the mitzvahs which a woman is obligated to keep which is virtually all of the mitzvahs. So a non-Jewish slave is also able, to, is also obligated to keep those mitzvahs. When he is freed, then he becomes fully Jewish and is obligated to keep all of the mitzvahs. And then he certainly wouldn't be able to have relations with all of these non-Jewish slaves. So B.S.M.A.R. holds that it's considered to be something which the non-Jewish slave loses from by being freed. And therefore, one wouldn't be able to give this document to somebody else without the slave himself knowing about it. 
because one can only uh, perform a legal action on behalf of somebody else without that person's consent if it's considered to be an advantage for him. But since it's considered to be a disadvantage, so one would have to give the document to the slave himself. But the Chachomim say, if he is being freed with money, then it would even work for the slave himself to give money to the master. According to the Chachomim, it is possible for a non-Jewish slave to own money. If somebody gives him money and they say that I'm, I'm giving it to you only on condition that your master does not have any rights over it, according to Meir, that doesn't work. The master will always have rights over it, but according to the Chachomim, that would be valid and the slave would own money, and he would therefore be able to give that money over to the master in order to free himself. And if he is freeing himself with a document by receiving a document, according to the Chachomim, he himself does not have to receive it. Rather, it would even be valid if somebody else receives the document sort of on behalf of the slave, even if the slave does not know about it, since according to the Chachomim, to be freed is considered to be an advantage. He'll now be a free man. And so even if somebody else acquires that document on his behalf, he would become a free man. Says Mishnah, when it comes to the money, this would work as long as the money came from somebody else. That was given by somebody else to that slave as a gift, on condition that his master wouldn't have any rights over it. But if it wasn't done in that way, then whatever the slave has is going to be considered belonging to the owner, to the master. So it certainly wouldn't help for the slave to give that money to his master. Mishnah Dalit, this Mishnah discusses acquiring an animal, and there are three main ways in which an animal can be acquired. Says so Mishnah Behemagasa, a large animal, such as a cow, it's not really possible for somebody to just lift up a cow. So although lifting up would be one way of acquiring an animal, that's not generally done with a large animal. And so in order to acquire the large animal, Nicholas from Masira, it is acquired with Masira. Masira literally means giving it over. So if the owner gives it over to the buyer, and they don't necessarily have to do anything physical with the animal itself. It could be that he'll give over the reins, or it could be that he'll tell him, take the animal, and then he takes the animal, he leads the animal away. He's doing that by the instructions of the original owner. That's also considered to be that the owner is giving it over to him. Now there's a third way of acquiring animals, which the Mishnah will mention at the end, and that is Mashiach. Mashiach is either pulling the animal towards you, or calling the animal and the animal animal following you. That's considered to be also a bit of a better way to acquire something. It shows more ownership and control of that animal. But according to this opinion of the Mishnah, since that's also considered to be quite difficult if it's a large animal, the large animal doesn't always listen, and it won't necessarily move, so it can be acquired via Masira, the Hadaka, whereas a smaller animal, like a sheep, the Hagba, that is acquired only by lifting up. Only if the person buying it lifts it up, is he able to acquire it like that? That is the opinion of Rabmeir and Rabmeir. A small animal can be acquired even by Mashiach, by pulling it towards you, by calling it, and the animal moving according to your calling it. And even though Mashiach is considered to be not as good of a acquisition as lifting it up, because again, it shows a bit less of control and ownership. Nevertheless, according to the Chachomim, that would be a valid way of acquiring it, because even when it comes to a small animal, sometimes it's hard to get the small animal to move. Sorry, hard to get the animal to, to lift up the animal. So Mashiach would also be valid for a small animal. Mishnah, hey, the law is that if somebody lends someone else money, 
if the borrower ends up not being able to pay back, then the lender is able to collect the repayment for the loan from the borrower's property. And even if the borrower sold that property on to somebody else since the time that he borrowed that money, the lender is able to collect that property even from those who bought the property from the borrower. And that only applies to land. And because of this law, land is known as nechosim sheyeshlem achrayas. Property which has achrayas nechosim attached to it. Achrayas nechosim refers to this ability to collect that land back if the person who originally owned it owed money to somebody else. So the Mishnah says nechosim sheyeshlem achrayas, which is a long way of describing land. So land, niklin bekesef, can be acquired with money. If the buyer gives money to the previous owner, to the seller, or the document, if the seller writes a document to the buyer saying that he's selling it to him, that would also be valid, or if the buyer does a chazaka, meaning he shows ownership. For example, he makes a fence there. So he's practically showing ownership, and that would also be a way of acquiring that piece of land. But property which does not have a chayas nechosim attached to it, meaning things which are not land, but movable items, can only be acquired with meshicha, by pulling it towards you, or by lifting it up. In this case, meshicha includes hagbar as well. And masira, meshicha is a more general term for actually taking the item itself, as opposed to land where the, uh, where the transfer of ownership is done with something else, nothing to do with the thing itself which is being acquired. Now that having been said, what happens if somebody is selling someone land and movable items? The Mishnah says, Movable items can be acquired together with land, with money or a document or a chazaka where he shows ownership. And if he does that, and their agreement is that when he acquires the land, he will acquire the movable items together with it. So for that, it would be sufficient to just do one act of acquisition, and it would help for both types of property. And the mission says as well as that, there is a law which applies only to movable items. And that is that in based in, in the court, there are certain situations where one is required to swear if he needs to swear that he owns a particular item, whatever it may be. But the law is that one never is forced to make a shavua, an oath, regarding land. However, says the Mishnah, if somebody is already required to make a shavua regarding movable items, then we can already make him make a shavua even on land. And this is a concept known as Gilgal shavua, where we sort of roll upon him another oath, so the Mishnah says, And movable items, which one needs to make a shavua regarding them, they would also drag and necessitate a shavua regarding the land itself. If he's already needing to make a shavua regarding the movable items, then he would also be made to make a shavua regarding the land. And again, that is known as Gilgal shavua.